Hi, this is your host here, Joe, here on an evening edition of the Celebrity Tribute. Today's Celebrity Tribute, we're going to look at a American group, boy group, during the 1960s. They had the fame to such songs about women, cars, and of course surfing. We're going to look at the Beach Boys. Beach Boys are an American rock band that formed in Hawthorne, California in the year 1961. The group's original lineup consisted of brothers Brian, Dennis, and Carl Wilson, and cousin Mike Love, and friend Al Jardine. Distinguished for their Vocal harmonies, adolescent-oriented themes, and musical ingenuity, they are one of the most influential acts of the rock era. Boys there on the Ed Sullivan Show. They drew on musical, on music of older pop vocal groups, 1950s rock and roll, and black R&B to create the unique sound. And under Brian's direction, and Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, often incorporated classical or jazz elements and come. In unconventional recording techniques in innovative ways. Beach Boys began as a garage band managed by Wilson's father Murray and with Brian as composer, arranger, producer, and leader. Murray Gage Wilson, born July 1917, passed away June of 1973 was American song writer, talent manager, record producer, and music publisher, best known as the father of the Beach Boys, Brian, Dennis, and Carl Wilson. 
After the band's information in the year 1961, Murray became their first manager. And in 1962, he founded their publishing company, Sea of Tunes, with Brian. It said later in life, Wilson was accused of physically and verb verbally abusing his children, changes which he had denied. At the time of his 16th birthday on June 20th, 1958, Brian Wilson shared a bedroom with his brothers, Dennis and Carl, aged 13 and 11, in their family home in Hawthorne. He had watched his father Murray play piano and he listened intently to harmonies of vocal groups such as the Four Freshmen. After Detecting songs such as Ivory Tower and Good News, Brian would teach family members how to sing the background harmonies. For his birthday that year, Brian received a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. He had learned how to overdub using his vocals and those of Carl and their mother. Brian played piano with Carl and David Marks, an 11-year-old longtime neighbor playing guitars they had received as Christmas presents. Soon Brian and Carl were avidly listening to Johnny Otis's K-Fox radio show, inspired by the simple structure and vocals of the rhythm and blues songs he had heard. Brian changed his piano playing style and started writing songs. Family gatherings brought the Wilsons in contact with cousin Mike Love. Brian taught Love's sister Maureen and a friend harmonies. Later, Brian, Love, and two friends performed at Hawthorne High School. Brian also knew Al Jardine, a high school classmate. Brian suggested to Jardine that they team up with their cousin, and brother Carl. Love gave the fledging band its name, the Pedal Tones, a pun for Pedalton, a style of woolen shirt popular at that time. Dennis was the only avid surfer in the group and suggested that the group write songs that celebrated the sport and lifestyle that inspired in Southern California. Brian finished the song titled Surfin' with Mike Love, wrote Surfin' Safari. Let's hear that song, Surfin' Safari. Again, one of their earlier hits for the Beach Boys.
Surf and Safari is a song by American, American rock band The Beach Boys, written by Brian Wilson and Mike Love. Released as a single with another song they did, 409, in June 1962. It peaked at number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100. The song also appeared on the 1962 album of the same name. Nineteen sixty two to nineteen sixty seven peak years. By the time the del facto manager of the Beach Boys, Murray landed the group's first paying gig, for which they earned three hundred dollars on New Year's Eve of the year nineteen sixty one at the Richie Valens Memorial Dance in Long Beach in California. In their earliest public appearance, the band wore a heavy wool jacket-like shirts and local surfers favored before switching to the trademark striped shirts and white pants. In early 1962, Morgan requested that some of the members add vocals to a couple of instrumental tracks that he had recorded with other musicians. This led to the creation of the short-lived group Kenny and the Cadets, which Brian led under the name Kelly. The other members were Carl, Jardine, and the Wilson's mother, Audrey. In February, Jardine left the Beach Boys and was ended up replaced by David Marks. In the early 1960s as well, too, the Beach Boys ended up in a nineteen sixty five film which uh, they played themselves as the singing group, along with singer. Uh, Annette Funicello in the Walt Disney's production of The Monkey's Uncle. Walt Disney presents. Uh -huh, she loved the monkey, uncle, yeah, yeah. She loved the monkey, uncle, whoa, whoa. When this chump adopts this chimp and his swinging chicks, it's Go Merlin Go in Walt Disney's new up in the air comedy, The Monkey's Uncle. Starring genius guy Merlin Jones with Annette. And it's all backed by the beat of the Beach Boys. Uh, 
Film, actually, I have not seen, but I've heard that song before. <laughs> Beach Boys also made other appearances. Um, on TV and whatnot, too. Um, I'm sure they were in other um, television programs. I know they were on the reality show, the Ed Sullivan Show, amongst other popular actors, actresses, and rock and roll performers. And they also made um, an appearance later on in the 80s to 90s on the TV series Full House. During the British Invasion shutdown all summer long and their Christmas album, the surf music craze along with careers of nearly all surf acts was slowly replaced again by the British Invasion, again, English musical groups. Following a successful Australian tour in January and February 1964, the Beach Boys returned home to face their new competition, the Beatles, part of the British Invasion. Both groups shared the same record label in the U.S. and capital support for the Beach Boys immediately began waning. This caused Murray to fight for the band at the label more than before, often visiting their offices without warning twist executive arms. Carl said that Phil Spector was Brian's favorite of the rock. He liked him better than the early Beatles stuff. He loved the Beatles' later music, which they evolved and started making intelligent, masterful music. But before that, Phil was it. According to Mike Love, Carl followed the Beatles closer than anyone in the band, while Brian was the most rattled by the Beatles and felt tremendous pressure to keep with them. For Brian, the Beatles ultimately eclipsed a lot of what we worked for. They, the Beatles, eclipsed the whole music world. Brian wrote his last surf song in, the, in April 1964. That month during recording their single I Get Around, Murray was relieved of his duties as manager. He remained in close contact with the group and attempted to continue advising on their career decisions. June 1964, Brian recorded the bulk of the Beach Boys Christmas album with a 41-piece studio orchestra 
in collaboration with the four freshmen, arranger Dick Reynolds. Beach Boys' Christmas album is the seventh studio album of the American rock band The Beach Boys, released on November 9, 1964, on Capitol Records. It contains five original songs and seven standards on a Christmas theme. The album proved to be a long-running success during the subsequent Christmas seasons, initially reaching number six on Billboard's Christmas LP chart and its initial release eventually going gold. Music historian James Perone wrote that it is regarded as one of the finest holiday albums of the rock era. One of their classic hits they did off that Christmas album was Little Saint Nick. To me, it's probably one of the popular songs off that album. Little Saint Nick. Pet Sounds. Dennis Wilson collaborated with Jingo Tony Asher, writer, for several of the songs on the album Pet Sounds. Refinement of the themes and ideas that were introduced in today. In some ways, the music was a jarring departure from the earlier style. Jardine explains that it took us quite a while to adjust to the new material because it wasn't music you would necessarily dance to. It was more like music you would make love to. The journal on the art record production, Marshall Heischer, writes that Pet Sounds diverts from previous Beach Boys effort in several ways. Its sound feels has a greater sense of depth and warmth. The songs employ even more inventive use of harmony and chord voicings. The prominent use of percussion is a key feature as opposed to driving drum beats. Wireless, the orchestrations at times echo the quickiness of Exatra band leader Les Baxter or the cool Burt Bachrock more so than Spectre's teen fanfares.
Good vibrations and smile. Throughout the summer of 1966, Brian concentrated on finishing the group's next single hit, Good Vibrations. Good Vibrations is a song by American rock band The Beach Boys. It was composed by Brian Wilson, lyrics done by Mike Love. It was released as a single on October 10, 1966 was an immediate critical and commercial hit, topping record charts in several countries, including the United States and the United Kingdom. Let's listen to a little bit of the song Good Vibrations. From 1965 to 1967, the Beach Boys had developed a musical and lyrical sophistication that contrasted their work then, before, and after. The divide was further solidified by the difference in sound between their albums and their stage performances. This resulted in a split fan base corresponding to two distant musical markets. One group is the conservative audience who enjoys the band's early singles as a wholesome representation of American popular culture from before the political and social movements brought in the mid-1960s. The other group also appreciates the early songs for their energy and complexity, but not as much as the band's ambitious work that was created during the formative psychedelic era. At that time, rock music journalists typically valued the Beach Boys' early records over their experimental work. Beach Boys were at their lowest popularity in the late 1960s, and their cultural standings uh, was especially worsened by their public image, which remained with their peers' heavier music. 
at the end of the 1967 Rolling Stone co-founder and editor Jane Warner printed an influential article that denounced the Beatles as just one prominent example of a group that has gotten hung up on trying to catch the Beatles. It's a pointless pursuit. Also around that time, um, 1968, Dennis befriended Charles Manson. Charles Miles Manson, born November 1934, passed away November 2017, was American criminal and musician who led the Manson family a cult base in California in the late 1960s. Some of the members committed a series of nine murders at four locations in July and August 1969. 1971, Manson was convicted first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder for the deaths of seven people, including film actress Sharon Tate. The prosecution contended that while Manson never directly ordered the murders, his ideology consisted in over-act of conspiracy. Before the murders, Manson has spent more than half of his time in correctional institutions. While gathering his cult following, Manson was a singer-songwriter on the fridge of the Los Angeles music industry, chiefly through a chance of association with Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, who introduced Manson to record producer Terry Melcher. 1968, the Beach Boys recorded Manson's song, Cease to Exist, remained Never Learned Not to Love, as a single B-side but without credit to Manson. Afterward, Manson attempted to secure a record contract through Melcher, but was unsuccessful. Another issue and a down point to uh, the Beach Boys was losing Beach Boys member Dennis Wilson in the year 1983. According to uh, sources say he had drowned. The California surfing craze. The Beach Boys carried much of their popularity for two decades. And late yesterday, one of the group's founders, Dennis Wilson, died in a drowning accident. Jed Rose reports. He had spent the day with friends on a dock sailboat, went diving several times in the murky water of Marina del Rey. The last time, he failed to come up, and an hour later, the body of Dennis Wilson was brought out of the Pacific Ocean he celebrated in song. Wilson had drowned in 12 feet of water.
1978 to 1998, continued recording in Brian's Estrainment. April 1980 interview. Carl reflected that the last two years have been the most important, difficult time of the career. We were at the ultimate crossroads. We had to decide whether we had been involved and since we were teenagers had lost its meaning. We asked ourselves in each of the other difficult questions we'd often avoided in the past. By the next year, he had left the touring group and because of unhappiness with the band's nostalgia format, lackluster live performance, subsequently pursued a solo career. Nineteen ninety-eight to present love led tours. In early 1997, Carl was diagnosed with lung and brain cancer after years of heavy smoking. Despite his terminal condition, Carl continued to perform with the band on its 1997 summer tour while undergoing chemotherapy. During performances, he sat on a stool and needed oxygen after every song. Carl died on February 6, 1998, at the age of 51, two months after the death of the Wilson's mother, Audrey. After Carl's death, Jardine left the touring lineup and began to perform regularly with the band's Beach Boys family and friends until he ran into legal issues for using his name without a license. In the year 2000, ABC TV premiered a two-part television miniseries, The Beach Boys and American Family, that dramatized the Beach Boys story. It was produced by John Stamus, who was critically by numerous parties, including Wilson, for historical inaccuracies. Beach Boys... An All-American Family was a 2000 miniseries written by Eric Ellis and Jeff Bleckner. It was a dramatization, again, of the years of the Beach Boys from their formation in the early 60s to the peak of popularity as music inventators through the late 1960s to their re-emerged in 1974 as nostalgia and good time acts. Twenty sixteen Love and Wilson published the memoirs. Good Vibrations, My Life as a Beach Boy, and I Am Brian Wilson, respectively. Asked about negative comments that Wilson made about him in the book, Love challenged the legacy of statement that attributed to Wilson in the book and the press. 
In an interview at Rolling Stone conducted in June 2016, Wilson said he would like to try to repair his relationship with love and collaborate with him again. In January 2017, Love said, if it was possible to make it just Brian and I and have it under control and done better than what happened in 2012, then yeah, I'd be open to do something. It says in July of 2018, Wilson, Jardine, Love, and Johnson and Marks reunited for a one-off questionnaire session moderated by director Rob Reiner at Capitol Records Tower in Los Angeles. It was the first time the band had appeared together in public since their 2012 tour. That December, Love described his new holiday album, Reason for the Season, as a message to Brian and said that he would love nothing more than get together with Brian and do some music. Uh, Mike Love um, had done numerous uh, solo stuff on his own, too. And, again, was part of the Beach Boys... during their their popular years. There was a particular song, I'm trying to think of it, that he did. Uh... Actually, I just actually found it here. Again, Mike Love. And the song is Almost Summer. And we'll find a little bit more of what that song is about. It was actually from the year 1978. Summer says is a 1978 American co comedy film directed by Martin Davidson. It was produced by um, Motown Production for Universal Pictures. Though not successful at the box office, the film has since acquired a certain degree of historical importance because many observers consider it to be 
the first of a series of distinctive youth genre films, of which most prominent examples would include later in life, uh, The Fast Times at Richmond High and The Breakfast Club. Plot, Bobby DeVito's schemes to get even with Christine is able to get high school hunk Grant knocked out of the race for class president, thus allowing her to run unimposed. Another popular song the Beach Boys also did was called Kokomo. And this was also to another film um, in the late 1980s, which had starred um, Tom Cruise. I remember certainly the song coming out in the uh, late 1980s. Kokomo is a song by American rock band The Beach Boys from the 1988 film Cocktail and the album Still Cruisin'. Written by John Phillips, Scott McKenzie, Mike Love, and Terry Melcher, the song was released as a single on June 21st of the year 1988 by Elektra Records and became a number one hit in the United States and Australia. The lyrics describe two lovers taking a trip to a relaxing place on Kokomo, a utopic island off the Florida Keys. In addition to the fictional Kokomo, the song also makes references to real Caribbean islands including Aruba, Jamaica, Bermuda, and Monstrat. Again, this movie stars Tom Cruise um, as he becomes a bartender. The waitresses hate me. Well, you... Wait till you've given them crabs. Then you'll really know hatred. <laughs> I'm not going 
So again, the legacy there of the Beach Boys. The ups and downs of the group. The problems they aroused and had to deal with. Um, the popularity of their songs towards um, American, both male and female, during their prime time, which got um, started with their father helping them as a manager. For right now, also, I like to do a little mini bio on um, the late actor. Tony Dow, who just passed away. We'll find out uh, who he is. Um, if you remember the television series from the 1950s, early 60s, you remember Leave It to Beaver. Don't eat Tony Dow portrayed the brother, the older brother to um, Jerry Mathers. Well, my goodness, Wally, you're home almost an hour early. Well, I'm on the junior dance committee, and we had a meeting. Oh, did you accomplish anything? Well, sure, I got out of my last two classes. I don't think they'll make him junior fire chief. He's too nice a kid to get elected to anything. Is being nice a handicap in getting along in the world? Sure, Mom. Didn't you know that? Well, uh, gee, Mom, I'm studying Spanish, and uh, if I talk about English words, I get all mixed up. How did Dad know? I don't know. Must be parents' intuition. <laughs> What's that? That means you can't get away with anything. How come he's such a creepy guy? Because he works at it. Vanilla, chocolate, strawberry. Rocky Road, peach, maple, walnut, black raspberry, mocha, pecan, banana, eggnog, peppermint, and pistachio. Very good. Say, Jan, I thought you were on a diet. We all are. A diet of Wally Cleaver. <laughs> Wally Cleaver? Oh! <laughs> the late Tony Dow, who portrayed Wally Cleaver. His full name, he was born Anthony Lee Dow on April 13, 1945, passed away July 27, 2022. He was American actor, film producer, director, and also a sculptor. He portrayed Wally Cleaver in the iconic television sitcom Leave It to Beaver from 1957 to 1963. From 1983 to 1989, Dow reprised the role as Wally in a television movie and in the new Leave It to Beaver. Dow was born in Hollywood neighborhood of Los Angeles, California, the son of Muriel, Virginia, a stunt woman in Westerns, and John Stevens Dow, a designer and contractor. In his youth, he trained as a swimmer and was a Junior Olympic Diving Championship. With a little stage acting and two television pilots as his only acting experience, Dow's career began when he went on an opening casting call and landed the role of Wally Cleaver in Leave it to Beaver. 
with the exception of the TV pilot for the show's entire run from 1957 to 1963. He played the older son of June, played by Barbara Billingsley, and Ward, played by Hugh Beaumont Cleaver, and the older brother of Theodore Beaver Cleaver, portrayed by Jerry Mathis. Jerry Mathis is the only surviving actor, which I had read, of that TV series. In addition to acting, directing, producing, writing, Dow was also sculpture, creating abstract bronze sculptures. He said about his work, the figures are abstract and not meant to represent reality, but rather the truth of the interactions as I see and feel them. I find the wood in the hills of the Topicana Canyon, which is a census designed place in western Los Angeles County, and each piece evolves from my subconscious. I produce limited editions of nine bronzes using the lost wax process from molds of the original burl sculpture. Dow married Carl Marlowe in June 1969, and their marriage ended in the year 1978. They had one child born 1973. In June 1980, Dow married Lauren Skolkind. In the 1990s, Dow revived that he had suffered from critical depression. He started um, in self-help videos chronicling his battle, including the 1998 Beating the Blues. May of 2022, Dow was diagnosed with liver cancer. On July 22, 2022, after a premature report of Dow's death, his family announced that he was alive at his home in California. However, it was reported that he was in his last hours and under hospice care. He died the following day, July 27th, last week at the age of 77. Again, Tony Dow. So that will do it for today's celebrity tribute theme. Uh, as we looked at the um, American boy group, the Beach Boys, and then a little mini bio on Tony Dow. So that will complete the celebrity tribute for this month. And we're in August, we have a brand new month coming up. We're going to highlight another popular cartoon character, which I did one of Popeye a couple summers ago, I believe, um, when I did my live video for the Celebrity Tribute. And we'll also look at a very funny man, passed away five to six years ago, so this year, we'll look at the late Robin Williams. Have a good 
rest of your week.